Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. <laughs> and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. That's from the Amplified Version. In other words, if you're going to get drunk, make sure it's in the Holy Spirit. We have a, have a friend from New Zealand, and uh, he's a prophet. And every time he comes around us, he gets drunk, and so do a lot of other people in the spirit. And when he prays for people, he says, take another drink. So tonight, I'm going to tell you, take another drink. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, how many of you know God has a sense of humor? <laughs> when I mentioned that, my wife said, yes, he made you. <sighs> Hallelujah. When God called us into the ministry, I don't know why I'm going here, but I just, Okay. Uh, we had just graduated from Bible school, and there was a young lady by the name of Irma Resendez. Irma Resendez was dying. As a matter of fact, she had to go up to Mayo Clinic for treatments and that. And while she was in Mayo Clinic, she was staying with some people in, in uh, um, St. Paul, Minnesota. And they found out that she was a Bible school graduate, so they asked her to start teaching them. And so she got permission from the Bible school to make it as a branch of the Bible school. And so she started teaching them. She got up through the first year of Bible school. And then she had to go home to Chicago to die. She was in a hospice at home. As she lay down on, on that hospital bed, on that bed in her home, she said, I refuse to die until I see the director of the Bible school and the superintendent of this district. The director of the Bible school was Pastor Ignacio Marrero. And uh, the superintendent was Zeferino Cabello. And they both came to her bedside. And she told him, I told the Lord, I refuse to die until you two promise me that you will send pastors to St. Paul, Minnesota to continue the Bible school so my students can graduate and to establish a church. And they agreed. They said, we'll do that. That night, she went home to be with the Lord. At her funeral, my wife walked past her casket. And she looked down and she said, oh, just my husband and I could go and continue to work. That's there. But that's impossible because 
He doesn't speak Spanish. Well, the following month, my wife and I headed to St. Paul, Minnesota to start the very first Spanish Assembly of God Church in the state of Minnesota. When God told me to go to St. Paul, Minnesota, I said, wait a minute, God, you got the wrong person. How many ever told God that he's wrong? That's a dumb thing to do. I said, Lord, I don't speak Spanish. I was what the Mexicans classified as a dumb Mexican. I said, I don't speak Spanish, Lord. And he, he took me to the book of Exodus, where Moses said, Lord, I can't go, I can't speak, I, 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 I stutter. stutter. <laughs> and the Lord said, who is it that made man's mouth or given man the ability to speak? He says, now go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you should say. I read that scripture and he said, read it again. I read it again. He said, read it again. I read it again. I read it about 10 times. And finally I said, okay, we'll go. And we went. Now, I, I used to scribble my messages on just a little piece of paper and that was it. But all of a sudden I learned that I had to start writing out my entire message word for word and my wife who was born in Mexico raised in Texas and knew Spanish fluently would translate it for me now I could read Spanish I could even understand some of it but to bring it out my thoughts it couldn't do that but all of a sudden here I was standing in front of these people we started out with nine I'll tell you, you don't get a very big salary with nine people. I left my job working in the post office where I was, had a lot of benefits, a really good pay, and four weeks vacation. Five, uh, a sick day, no, I had you know, five, six, eight, five personal leave days and, and eight or so sick days. Making good money, and I went there with the promise of $65 a week, and out of the head, I had to pay my rent and utilities. Hello. And I started, I would read my, the, my, the seminar, sermon, I would read a paragraph in English and elaborate, elaborate on it, and then a paragraph in Spanish and try to elaborate on it. And there were sometimes things came out the wrong way. You know, and all of a sudden you see people go, mm. <laughs> And I thought, oh, oh, Lord, I blew it again, didn't I? And my, I remember, <laughs> like telling people we were going to fill a bag, we were going to fill our, our, our Christmas bags, or I said, we're going we're gonna to put sandias in them. I meant apples. Sandias are watermelons. <laughs> 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 
And one time I was talking about Jesus when he stood before the disciples. And he stood there, I said, and he showed them the the nail prints in his hands and the the wound in his side. I said, and then he took off his sandias and showed them his feet. He took off his water. I meant him to say sandalias. But I said, Sandias, and there, and this, this happened when I came back to Chicago. I preached at my dad's church, and my dad goes, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> You didn't know Jesus wore watermelons, did you? <laughs> but after six months, I was preaching fluent Spanish. And then North Central Bible College... The students found out there's a Spanish church, and those that were in missions, preparing to go to mission field, decided, we're going to go to that church to learn Spanish from me. (laughs) But when you step out and take that step of faith, that step of obedience, God will do the impossible. We serve a miracle-working God. And out of that church, there came people that have, to this day, that are serving the Lord. And one of them was what I call my kids. As a matter of fact, all, all, all the young people that came to that, to, came there, we called them our brats. And some of my brats are serving on the mission field today. Pastoring churches, doing the work of the kingdom, because I said, yes, Lord. You never know who you affect, what life you touch. One of the lives that I touch, he went to Bible school. He got to the fourth year of Bible school, and God told him, I didn't call you to be a missionary. He said, you didn't? I called you to be a blessing. He left Bible school. He was one month away from graduating. He says, one of these days, he said, I might go back and just go ahead and graduate. He started working for his dad. Then later on, he ended up buying his dad's company. That company is one of the companies that's listed on Brad Dunn Street. Anytime God calls me to a mission field to go preach, every time I've gone to New Zealand, every time I've gone to Ireland, every time that I've gone to the Philippines, he has funded it completely. Airlines, motels, food, everything. And I just talked with him not too long ago, and he said, Hey, well, as soon as the Philippines open up and you're going back, let me know. He says, I'll take care of it again. And I've always thought, Lord, what did I do to affect that life? You don't know whose life you are affecting and what that person will do for you one day. You are but a seed planter who one day will reap a harvest. Do not be filled. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled. Get drunk with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask a question. How many here 
Are you filled with the Spirit? Now, no, I'm talking about being filled to the top and running over. See, too many Christians today are only half full. Mm-hmm. Hello? Some say, well, you know, I'm, I mean, you must know I'm filled. I attend this church. You know what? I can go sit in a car for a year or sit in a garage for a year, but it's not going to make me a car. Hello? Come on. You know, I was talking about a bush this morning. I want to go back to that bush. Can I? Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. One of the most important three words you can ever say is, here I am. God said, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Have you ever had God tell you that, Pastor? Take off your shoes. You're standing on the holy ground. He, he spoke that to me one day when I was in church. I was at the pulpit, and the Lord said, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. I said, Lord, they're going to think I'm crazy. He said, take off your shoes. And I was trying to think, do I have the socks on that got a hole in it? I said, but are you sure, Lord? He says, take off your shoes. Yes, Lord. You have to understand. My wife and I had just gone through pastoring that I call a church from hell. Our first Sunday there, after Sunday school, we were going up to go to a service and a deacon called me aside and took me into the office. He said, I thought you should know we don't have preaching on Sunday morning. I said, excuse me? We don't have preaching on Sunday morning. I said, why not? Well, our town is not very big, and there's only two good restaurants, and we like to beat the Baptist to the restaurant. I said, don't worry, when we get out, there'll be room. <laughs> we got out 2.30 in the afternoon, there was room. <laughs> then I found out that they hold services on Sunday night depending on what the Sunday night movie of the week was. If it was a good movie, they canceled the service. 
I would have a board meeting, and then they would come back some days later and tell me, you know, we just don't agree with what you said. They, all, they were all in agreement, but three days later, come back and say, we don't agree. You see, they checked with the former pastor who had been there 20-something years to see if he approved it or not. I went through something so terrible there, and after about six months, I, I got in my office, and I just cried out before God. I said, God, what am I doing here? He said, you're the last messenger to this church. If they don't accept your message, the message I give you, I will shut the doors of this church and it will not open until this generation passes off. Make a long story short, I resigned sometime after that. They brought in another pastor. His second week there in the middle of the night, him and his family left because they realized what was there. The district closed the church. For 20 years, the doors of that church were closed until the last person that came against us had died. And this Sunday, I was standing in the church, and God says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. When I took off my shoes, I felt a fire that went from the bottom of my feet and just came right up through the top of my head. And I saw a bright light that was so bright I could not look at it. And I heard the words, son, I told you as you cried out in that office that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Son, this is your morning. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. See, the story of Moses and the burning bush is a picture of the great possibilities of an ordinary life yielded to God. Just as God set the bush of fire to achieve a definite purpose in his work, so he wants to come into your life and take such control of it that you can become an instrument of his glory in his hands. He wants your life to be a flame for him. Is your life on fire for Christ? How about the person next to you? Does it look like their life is on fire for Jesus? Don't answer. There are four characteristics of the life of a Christian who's on fire for God. And that can be noted in the story of Moses and the burning bush. The first characteristic is an indwelt life. Verse 2 of that chapter. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Hear me. It was possible for the bush to burn and not be consumed only because God was in possession of that bush. We see in verse 4 that the Lord called to him, it says, from within the bush. See, God was not only in the twigs, not only in the leaves, 
but he was also in the roots, in the stump, and in the branches of that bush. When it says from within, it says from, from right in the midst of it. It means the very center, the middle, the very heart of the bush. If we are to be on fire for God like this bush, then we must let him take full possession of our lives. In the sixth chapter of Judges, we read of the armies of Midian and Amalek, and they come to do war with Israel. But see, God had a man by the name of Gideon. And Judges chapter 6, verse 34 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. Now, as I read that, I, I looked, and in the, the, the older version of the, of the New Living Translation says that the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. Now, as I looked at that, I, I began to study it, and, and, and I wanted to see, well, you know, we went, to, went back to the Hebrew. And the actual Hebrew translation of that verse is, the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. Now, when you take possession of something, it's yours, and you can do with it whatever you want. And you see, we're at this point where God says, I want to take possession of you. And, but see, God will not intrude in you with, without your permission. So it means that you have to let him say, God, here I am. Take possession of me. When God begins to take possession of your life, when you begin to allow him to take possession of your life, all of a sudden the spirit of God comes upon you in a way that cannot be understood. He said it took possession of him and Gideon blew a trumpet and all of a sudden these people come up alongside him and say, we're with you. If you read earlier in the scripture there, we find that when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, Gideon said, hey, you, you, you got the wrong person. Hello? I am the weakest link in the weakest chain in Israel. My tribe is not a warring tribe. We're a bunch of farmers. We can't do nothing. I'm the worst one. I'm the runt of the... Actually, the, the translation was, I am the runt of the litter. The runt of the litter. You can't mean me. You know, so many times we want to say, God, you make a mistake, not me. You don't want me, God. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. <laughs> oh, we take a look. It says the Spirit of the Lord took possession. You know, we take a look at, the, at Paul and his letters to Timothy. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've been faithful. Hello? He's saying, I didn't give up, I didn't shut up, and I remain faithful, steadfast. That's what God's looking for. See, the Holy Spirit must take full possession of our lives. There needs to be, our lives, there's a need of being so possessed by God that it creates a passion 
that drives us to the point that no amount of testing, trial, or persecution will shut us up. We need a passion like Jeremiah. Oh, Jeremiah, chapter 20, verse 1, 2, and verse 9 says, says now pastor, son of Immer, the priest in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard what Jeremiah was prophesying. So he arrested Jeremiah, the prophet, and had him whipped and put in stocks at the Benjamin's gate of the Lord. Why? Because he was preaching what God told him to preach. He gets beaten. He gets tied to the gates of the city, chained to the gates of the city. And, and you know, if you, if you read, read the verses after that, Jeremiah has a pity party. Anybody here ever have a pity party? The rest of you are lying. He has a pity party. He says, God, I have had it. If I say I will not make mention of your name or speak anymore your name, in my mind, in my heart, he says, it's as if there were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of enduring and holding it in. I cannot contain it any longer. He says, after he said, I give up, he says, all of a sudden, he says, wait a minute, I, I, I can't, I, I, have to, I have to speak it. There's a fire. You see, he was so sold out to God. He lived with a passion, and that passion created a fire within him that could not be contained. There's been so many times when I've wanted to give up, I wanted to throw in the towel, I wanted to say forget it, but there's something in me that I can't keep quiet, I can't hold it in, and I'll tell you, I look and say, God, I don't ever want that fire to go out, I don't want that passion to go out, that fire of the Holy Spirit, I tell you, it needs to be a flame in the very roots of our lives to where we cry out, as the prophet said, his word is like a fire, it is shut up in my bones, and I can't hold it in. The second characteristic is, is an irresistible life. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see the strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. That bush demanded Moses' attention. In the King James Version, it says, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Moses had to turn away from everything that had his attention. It was not the ordinary bush that compelled Moses to look. It was the fire in the bush. It is not the ordinary life, nor the weird life that compels attention, but rather it is the life that is on fire for God that compels attention. The early Christians, for the most part, were ordinary men. Fishermen, tax collector, physician, carpenter, students of the law. But on the day of Pentecost, the world turned aside to see this great sight because they were ablaze with the fire of the Holy Ghost. 
What is going to take place here is that the power of my God is going to take hold of you, that when you walk down the street, people are going to turn and say, there's something different about that person. When you go to greet somebody, you take their hand, you say, how are you? They're going to kind of step back and say, whoa, what, what is, what's, what's that you got? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah. The, the people, when they saw them, they said, they're drunk. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 no. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. I usually get drunk later at night. The fire of the Spirit had lighted up their lives with irresistible force. Men and women and young people whose hearts are aflame call attention not to themselves, but to the fire of the presence of God that is within them. John Wesley founder of the Methodist Church. He was a man that was spirit-filled, filled with the Holy Ghost, and he says, get on fire, and people will come to see you burn. Come on now. Get on fire, and people will come. Do you ever notice whenever there's a fire and fire engines go by, everybody says, oh, let's go see what's happening. It's a fire. We're, we're curious. We want to see. When people start seeing you on fire, People in this church on fire, they're going to say, I, I, I got to go check this out. I got to go check this. Last, in January, my wife and I, my, my, my nephew, he sent us round-trip tickets to go visit him. So we were in Phoenix, Arizona. We went to the Fresh Fire Church, Fresh Start. Whew, my goodness, I don't know, anybody know about that church? Yeah. You have... The entire foyer, people outside, waiting for the doors to open. Meanwhile, what's going on inside the church is after their Sunday school, they get into a prayer. And they start, they start worshiping. They start getting hold of God. The moment you walk in that door, they're all, they're binding the powers of hell, speaking in tongues. And it's just, from there on, it's wild. Four-hour service. I know, the Baptists beat them to the restaurants. <laughs> the service we were in Friday, I mean, no, Saturday, it started at 8 o'clock in the morning with a prayer meeting. We got out at 2.30 in the afternoon. Six and a half hours. Are you ready for that? Oh, but I <laughs> I heard people say, I can't be in service that long. I'm a diabetic and I got to eat at a certain time. <laughs> Honey, if you're in a service like that, you're not going to be a diabetic because God's going to heal you. <laughs> people come see burn. Acts chapter 3, 1 and 2, Peter and John, they went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man from, lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, and the one called the beautiful gate, and so he could beg from the people going into the temple. You see, he was wise. They, they put him right by the temple gate so that the people going in, they would feel guilty. I'm going in. I gotta let the Lord know that I gave something to this guy. But you ever notice something? It said that he was placed there since he, he was crippled since birth. Since birth. You know, God has his timing. 
Because if you read in the earlier scriptures, you find that Jesus went into the temple and healed the people. They brought, they brought them all to him and he healed them all. Why didn't he heal the man at the gate? It wasn't his time. What are you talking about? That man at that gate got healed at the time that would give God the most glory. At the time that God would receive the most glory because all of a sudden he receives healing. He walked in, he didn't walk into, he went into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. He was a fanatic. Come on. You know what a fanatic is? That's a person who's a fan and is addicted. I'm a fan of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm addicted to his glory. Come on now. This man became a fanatic. Going into church. What happened? The people followed. People followed. People, how many got saved? A couple thousand? Hello? And what happens? Peter and John, they get arrested. Acts 4.13. Here is where you have the devil's dilemma. What do we do? Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. <laughs> they had been with Jesus. We need people to take note that we have been with Jesus. No greater compliment can I receive than for someone to state that man has been with Jesus or that man has Christ in him. A couple of years back, Pastor Keith Taylor and I, we went to, is it Lambert's, where they throw those the, the biscuits at you? Him and I, we went into that Lambert's, and the waitress came to our table, and she looked, and she stepped back. She said, you two are Holy Ghost men. You are servants of God, aren't you? And we said, yes, we are. She said, I see it. The day is coming when you're going to walk into a place and people are going to look and say, you're a Holy Ghost woman. You're a Holy Ghost man. I see something. There's a glow. Recently, I, I, I was in Morocco. No, no. In, where Mark's at. In, in Monin, Indiana, we were having a service, and this one man, he was sitting there. He says, I look up at you. He says, I see you, and I see these other guys. He says, and I see a, 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 a light all the way around you. He says, how do I get what you got? It's glory. Come on. The third characteristic, an instrumental life. Exodus verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. That bush in the wild, wasted desert became an instrument in the hands of God. It became the channel, the medium of his power. 
and the link between Almighty God and Moses, the man whom God was calling. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, 28 says, God chooses the things of the world, considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose, chose the things that are powerless to shame those who think they are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring, them, bring to nothing what the world considers important. How many times do I hear a preacher, I feel so unqualified when I'm called to witness, when I'm called to speak, when I'm called to sing or minister in some way. Praise God, you qualify then. God does not want a know-it-all. He wants a person that will be dependent on him. Come on. I'm too young. I'm too old. Mm -mm. Hey. God started using me at the age of nine to preach the God, at the age of 10 to preach the gospel and to be used in prophecy. If we are to be used of God as this bush in this wild this desert that we're in, that we live in, then we must allow or be willing to be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. God cannot use a smoldering life. Because smoldering lights only produce smoke, and smoke only blinds people. But praise God. God is merciful. He will not quench that smoldering fire. But if we let him, he will fan it into a flame of his glory. If we surrender another log of our will, of our hopes, of our desires, of our dreams into the fire, he will blow his breath of life on these embers. The fourth characteristic, I'll try to hurry here, an influential life. Verse 5, do not come any closer, the Lord's warned. Take off your shoes, for you're standing on holy ground. Wow. Because the bush was indwelt by divine presence, even the ground around it was holy. When our lives are possessed by God, our very being will send out a holy, radiant, transforming influence to those around us. Peter, he just walked along the road. His shadow went over the people, and they were healed. Come on now. That easy. The history of Christianity is filled with stories of what happened when ordinary people were set ablaze. Dwight L. Moody, Billy Sunday, who left baseball to go preach, Luther, Prane Hyde, Smith Wigglesworth, John Wesley, all powerful names. But then we go to two insignificant old ladies one of them was blind these two old ladies they would gather up in the church and they would pray and pray and pray for revival for the Hebrides Islands and they prayed God send us a man of God Duncan Campbell 
was holy revival throughout Scotland. And he was preaching in this church. And in the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit interrupted him. He said, close your Bible. Leave this place. Catch the first boat. Go to the Hebrides Islands. I'm going to do something great. Middle of his sermon, he closed his Bible, walked off the platform, right out the door. Grabbed the first boat, went to the Hebrides Island. When he got there, there was a man waiting for him. He says, the ladies are waiting for you up there. Went up to the top where they were in that church. He joined them in their prayer meeting. It was right around midnight. There was a dance going on. The dance hall was filled. Music was playing. They were dancing. They were drinking. They were partying. And all of a sudden, they fell on their face and started weeping. They came out of the dance hall and they started heading up to that little hill to where that little church was. And about that time, every light in that city turned on. People came out of their houses and started walking up to that little hill, to that little church. Two ladies who were insignificant to everybody else, one being blind, they prayed, they let God use them, that fire came down in that city. It created a revival, hit the Hebrides Islands. Why? Because of two insignificant people. Do I have more than one prayer warrior in this house? Do I have more than one intercessor in this house? Let me tell you something. You're not praying in vain. My God says, I'm sending the fire. I'm sending a revival. I'm going to pour out my spirit. But you are the reason why. What we must have today is burning bushes in our homes, in the workplace, in our schools, in the hospitals. Life so filled with the divine presence of God that they exert a holy, purifying influence on all who come in contact with them. The fire of God did not change the bush into anything more, than, more important than what it was before. It was still a bush. Only the fire inside it attracted Moses. So too, whatever God does through our lives, remember that we are just a vessel. He is the source. Second Corinthians 4, 5, and 7. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves. Many times, many are the ministers oftentimes that are intimidated because they see other people pray, pray for people and they fall down and they pray for them and nothing happens. You know what? I don't care if you fall or not. 
Because the one thing the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, he says, you just pray for them. Whatever happens, I'm doing it. If God slays you, that's his part. And I'm not going to be one that's going to push people down. Mm -mm. Praise God. Can't get this thing to work. There, there it is. God is looking for those who will be burning bushes for him. Those who have the fire indwelling within them. Fire which influences people all around them. Bushes which will draw men's attention to the fire within. And bushes which will become an instrument of his glory. Are you ready? Are you willing to be that bush? God gave me a word this afternoon for this church. So let me speak it to you right now. Prophecy to Christ Church of the Heartland, March 6, 2022. Ezekiel 47.9. Wherever the river flows, life will flourish. Hear the word of the Lord to this congregation. By my decree, this city was established along the banks of the mighty Mississippi River. When it rages and overflows its banks, it can cause much destruction. Yet for the most part, it accomplishes what I created it to accomplish, to be a river that flows with life where everything in it and along its banks flourishes. But hear me, says the Lord. Before this nation was founded and the life-giving waters of the Mississippi River were discovered, the powers of hell set about to erect satanic walls and strong towers along its banks. Satan knew that the day would come when my glory would sweep across this nation, bringing a revival of power and unity, and he was determined to establish a line to keep that glory from spreading. Yes, there was a time when there was a bitter war between the north and the south in the minds of men. That war ended years ago. But in the hearts of men, it is still being played out today. But hear me, says the Lord. The greatest unseen war is in the natural. Is, greatest seen war in the natural is the war that is going on in the spiritual between East and West. There is a powerful move of my spirit that has been gaining momentum. It has been coming from what is considered the crossroads of this nation. This move of my glory began in the southeastern part of this nation, then trickled northward. And just as man thought it was about to die out, I rekindled the flames in the state of Illinois and Indiana. Understand, although this fire of revival had, had, has had difficulty crossing over this river that divides this land, know that I established a plan long before Satan set up his strongholds. Those strongholds are coming down, and you are the instrument I'm going to use to bring these strongholds down. Songs of Solomon, verse 4, 16, says, Awake, north wind. Rise up, south wind. Blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around. The north wind, which is my breath, that breathes life 
and revival. And the south wind, which speaks of my provision, will blow upon this city and cause a river mightier than the river that divides this nation to flow southward, where it will meet up with my river coming from the east. And when they come together, it will be my oil and my wine being blended together to create a force that will destroy every satanic stronghold along both sides of the river. Know that out of the north end of this river, my breath will sweep along both sides of this river that will first bring destruction as a river does when it overflows its banks. It will destroy all that are at war with my spirit and have worked to destroy my church and every move of my spirit. Yet I say to my beloved, my blood-bought church, do not let your hearts be troubled for although I will bring a sword against those who, those who follow the powers of this world, I have Establish a promise of blessing for you who have made me Lord of your life. Do not say, wherever the river flows, life will... Did I not say, wherever the river flows, life will flourish? That word life speaks of my breath, my presence, my glory that will flourish among my people. Although this mighty river along this bank has flowed for centuries, the river of my glory is about to unleash, unleashed in an unprecedented manner such has never been experienced in this land before. It is along the banks of this river in this city and every city on both sides of this river from north to south that my transformational healing waters will flow. These healing waters will bring healing to every type of disease known to man. It will bring healing to those who have been bound by depression and possession. These healing waters will bring about creative miracles as limbs and organs that have been removed will suddenly reappear. These waters will heal the brokenhearted and bring healing to broken and torn relationships within families, friends, and races. These waters will bring about a unity and love for one another and for the stranger down the road. Hear me. The river that has divided this land in the natural will be the central point in the spiritual that will unite this land. The uniting of the oil and wine that shall come together at this river shall be as a fiery cauldron of revival that will radiate my glory to the four corners of this nation and it will send waves of my glory to the nations. I call out this day to those whose hearts have strayed from me, those who have rejected my love and my gift of salvation, and to those who have said they are of the family of God but they do not serve me with a pure heart, and continue to participate in those things that are unholy or an abomination to me, I call you to get your heart right with me before I close the door on you. To my shepherd who cares for my flock, prepare the spiritual nurseries. Make preparation for a great harvest. I ask this church, how Prepared are you to train and disciple a hundred or more new converts that will be added to your church in one day? You say within your heart, oh, that will never happen. 
Am I not God? Did I not add 3,000 to the 120 in one day? And did I not add an additional 200 to 2,000 to that number in one day, not counting women and children? What makes you think I can't do it again? Hear me. The harvest that I am bringing in this last hour will be so great that men will not be able to count, keep count of the number of souls that will be added to the kingdom daily. So I ask you, are you prepared? I say to you, it's time to stop walking in the natural and to start walking in the supernatural. My prophet Elijah said he heard the sound of an abundance and array of rain. And I say to my servant, and I said to my servant David, when you hear the sound of shuffling in the mulberry trees, get ready to move out. And I say now to you, lift your ears toward heaven, for there is a sound that I'm about to release upon this land. It is a sound that was heard in the upper room, the sound of a mighty rushing roar of wind. The wind is my breath, and it is a sound of revival for your cities, your regions, your schools, your churches, and your homes. I will fulfill my word, and I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Stop saying that the next generation will see the glory of God. You are the last generation before I come and take away my bride. Stop saying that the signs and wonders are almost upon us. I say to you, this is the day of signs and wonders. When I spoke to the two blind men who cried out, have mercy on us, I now speak to you. According to your faith, be it unto you. Hear me, says the Lord of hosts. It only took one sermon preached by a disciple empowered by my Holy Spirit for 3,000 to be swept into the kingdom. It only took a bush on fire to change the destiny of a nation. It only took a man who thought he was the weakest person in the weakest tribe of Israel to defeat an army of 186,000 with but 300 men. All it takes is for you to let me take possession of your life as I did Peter and as I did as I, and as I did that bush, and as I did Gideon, and you will do the miracles, win the loss, heal the sick, deliver those in bondage, bondage to drugs, bondage to alcohol, bondage to pornography, bondage to oppression. Hear me, said the Lord of hosts. This is the hour for this house <laughs> to be a house of fire. A place of habitation where I can dwell in your presence as you rest in my glory. Can you give him praise? Thank you, Jesus. I know I've been a bit long, but I was being obedient. Hmm. Tonight, 
I know you came forward this morning and said, Lord, give me that fire. Give me that fire. But I believe tonight God is saying, will you be a burning bush? Will you be as that burning bush and let me burn inside of you? You see, to be that burning bush requires a complete surrender. One preacher said, we Christians, we don't speak lies. We sing them. We sing, I surrender all. I surrender all to Jesus. I surrender. And then we don't do it. But tonight, God said, I want you to say, I surrender and mean it. I want you to come and say, Lord, I surrender my dreams, my ambitions, my desires. And I receive your dream from me, your desire for me. Lord, I want to be as Jeremiah where I can say his fire. His word is as a fire and it's shut up in my bones and I cannot hold it in any longer. God's looking for sacrifice tonight. Would you stand? Mmm. Mmm. He rabaku shatarababai. Me ko rabashatarababai. Maya la sandere How often have I gathered your tears and I saved them. I gathered every one of them and I saved everyone. How often are the times when you sat in the dark and you cried that I sat right alongside you and I cried with you? How often are the times when you turned and said, I give up, and you began to walk away. And my heart felt the pain as you walked. Hear me. I have never left you, and I have never abandoned you. The promises that were spoken over, to, over you, the promises that were spoken over your parents concerning you, I have not forgotten. My child, this is the day for you to release that load that you've been carrying, to shake it off because I am your God. I am your lover. And I want to embrace you today.